Hey there, listeners. Welcome to This Humana Life, a podcast for all Humana associates. We have amazing stories to tell and learning experiences to offer. We also believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insights into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible with the support of the Women's Network Resource Group and by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. I'm Brittany LaMere. And this podcast is produced by Melissa Nichols. We're looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Join the conversation in our buzz group by visiting go forward slash THL. Also, make sure to text the acronym THL to 239-355 to have new episodes sent straight to your mobile Thursday morning. Hey there, listeners. We want to give you a special shout out for making October an amazing month. We love getting to see all of your pink out pictures all over Buzz. Keep up the great work. And if you're interested in learning more about preventive services, visit go slash prevention. All right. Now back to part two of our episode with Dr. Brian Loy. And Dr. Lord, I think you said it earlier about some screenings are, we want to say, more pleasant than others, right? And the uh, mammogram obviously is is probably it's really one of the more pleasant ones compared I've to some. Never heard it put that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking from experience, but and I think that's no. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not saying it's it's a lovely moment, but but still, cons- considering some of the other. So I, don't you think that plays some factor into it? The fear of, you know, oh my gosh, um, mammograms, I'm going to be smushed and squeezed and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, but but truly, um, and I think you said it with the, uh, the colon cancer, that where you're trying to find ways to make it easier for the patient to, I want to say want to come back, but mm-hmm. but to come to do their next screening. Make it easier. Make it easier. Mm-hmm. So it's good to hear those things. Mm-hmm. I would just say that I think we do a poor job at demystifying the experience. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the right answer is, Mm -hmm. but it just seems to me that there's an opportunity to us to get to the next generation. So if you start with the kids and you're able to demystify it, and when they don't have any skin in the game, well, it probably makes it a little easier for them to think about it 10, 20, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. And it also makes it easier for them to talk about it to folks that they have influence on, mm-hmm. like their parents, like their the folks that are in sure. those risk categories. Right. You just made me think of something. But because I have to go do this mammogram, I have a 17-year-old, a 13- and a 12-year-old girl, girls. So maybe I will demystify it with them maybe I'll just I probably wouldn't have told them I was going to do it but maybe I will maybe I'll just mm-hmm. share with mm-hmm. them what I'm doing with the experiences normalize with a smile. it right with normalize a smile. <laughs> it and and just talk about how it's part of taking care of mm-hmm. our bodies so sure. it's a good point and maybe something we need to do a better job of with as a WNRG is talking like you just kind of talked about the mammogram experience mm-hmm. sometimes you don't hear that type mm-hmm. of like you get smushed okay tell mm-hmm. me sure. more about that you know right. what I mean so yeah. well, just me, a thought let, let me turn that around mm-hmm. on you because you know what's been very interesting to me um, is that we've had to figure out how to demystify the cancer vaccine experience 
from parents with their children. So yeah. the human papillomavirus yes. e- example. So, you know, there have been countless hours, and I actually attended something earlier this year where we're still, even after all the years this has been implemented, still figuring out how do doctors deliver the message of you need to get a series of shots to help you to prevent cervical cancer, for example. And by the way, we missed that. We didn't even talk about cervical cancer mm-hmm, screening. That's true. But, but, there, is, but there is a... Um, a, a talk track that is still in development for folks to get comfortable as lay people as well as the healthcare delivery service that we haven't mastered yet, which I just find very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating mm-hmm. because you would think, oh, well, this is this is obvious. You want to decrease the lifetime risk of a cancer. Why not screen? Why not vaccinate? Why not do these different health measures? And it's just simply not that 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 easy. Folks want to know the risk and the benefits, and there are fears and there are concerns that clearly need to be addressed in order for folks to get comfortable, for well, patients to get comfortable. And so a lot of that sits at that primary physician's table because they're the ones I'm having the conversation with about it. And they're the ones, or or possibly even the nurse who's talking to me and, you know, my 13-year-old, um, it's time to have that discussion. We decided to wait a year mm-hmm. um, and we talked about it still being um, effective even if we wait a year, right? There's a certain time frame that you want them to start to get the, the series of vaccinations within but it's just interesting because I I probably haven't talked to anyone else other than the physician and my husband about it so it's just I, I think a lot of that does sit, sit there at that physician level yeah, when you think about how we're constructed as a primary care office today you know you get seven to twelve minutes with a patient and you start to talk about cancer risk at 13 well, right. or cervical cancer there are so many right. issues that are family dependent and yep. patient specific, getting that into a 13 minute conversation is well, near impossible. What to I ask. needed to know was, you know, what are the, like you said, what are the risks? You know, how effective is this going to be? And it was a realization that, you know, it's hard to even talk about sexual activity for, you know, she's 13, my, my goodness, but it's uh, the reality. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's, it's prevention for the future. And, I mean, it's just something you've got to talk about with your family and your mm-hmm. loved ones and decide what's best for your family. Mm-hmm. And I think you could, this came as a choice versus your polio, tetanus, your DBT, DPT shots, you know, all the ones that are required for your child to go to school. You don't blink an eye at those because you have to. Mm-hmm. So since the HPV uh, shot uh, was offered, it was a choice. So since it's a choice, then it's up for debate. Then you have to think about it. It isn't required to go into school. So anyway, I I know what you're saying, but it's only because we have a choice now we have to think about it versus the other shots that are required. And something I'm really proud of this year, um, an ambassador actually brought up to the WNRG that she would like to share about um, Cervical Health Awareness Month, which is in January, and teal is the the mm-hmm. color you're supposed to wear to, to help support and share awareness. So this year, the WNRG did post uh, messages and how to have conversations from um, the CDC. They offer guidelines and different talking points for parents to have these conversations with their kids regarding the cervical cancer uh, vaccine, having those kinds of conversations. So I, I hope we continue to do that again next year. And all about just trying to normalize these conversations. I, I remember seeing like the stand up to cancer, um, those kind of commercials, and then also for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, those commercials. But finally, I, I saw a um, 
prostate cancer commercial will include this in the show notes, but it's like a little cartoon um, image trying to explain how you really need to go get these preventive screenings and it's focused for men's health. So I think it's really a positive thing that we're trying to demystify Mm -hmm. and ease these conversations in. And I think you tend to hear it when you're experiencing it either through a friend, family, Mm -hmm. co-worker, it, it just becomes more important. I agree. Is there a common myth about your profession or field that you would like to debunk? You know, that's a great question because I, I, I identify my profession with two sets of roots. In my, in my core training, I'm a pathologist. And so many folks see pathologists as someone down in the basement that are introverted and probably don't like to see patients, which is absolutely not what I am. I saw patients, uh, I consulted, I worked in teams, I headed up tumor boards. So the, the, I, I don't consider myself an introvert, but uh, probably have flares of introversion now and then. Um, as, a, as a corporate medical director, I think folks think that, that on the outside world think that we choose these roles to shuffle papers and save dollars. And I think they don't have a full appreciation of the thoughtfulness that goes into trying to manage populations of health and trying to make sure that people get the very best delivery and health and well-being experience because they've enrolled in your particular plan. I love I love that. I think that's why we're so proud to work for this company is because of of people like yourself and those in positions that are looking at the whole person. And yeah, dollar dollar signs are important. It's a for-profit organization and and we understand that, but then there's people situated within the company that are ensuring it's people first. It gets real when yeah. it gets the person. And, yeah. it's, it's and we have plenty of associates here that are, that are working very hard every day, and many of them are struggling with illnesses, terminal illnesses, and family members that have mm-hmm. illness. And trying to figure this out is, is no simple <laughs> task. It's a very complex task to try to, to invest a lifetime of work to try to get to improvement. Absolutely. You are listening to This Humana Life with co-hosts Tara DeLucia, Carmen Pantoja Evans, Brittany LaMare, and our special guest. Be sure to text THL to 239-355 to have new episodes sent straight to your mobile or share with us on Yammer at go slash THL. You talked about population health, which automatically makes me think about the bold goal and the work that you've been doing for the Bold Goal. Share a little bit about your Bold Goal work. Love, love to. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were to point to two activities in Bold Goal, that would be the board of directors. So it's trying to, to, trying to connect the dots between our business operations and the, the, the Bold Goal population health mm-hmm. that we're doing to improve the health and well-being of our members by 20% by 2020 and beyond. And I would say to you, you know, the, the mantra that or the, the statement that I've said is, is that bold goal will become real when we begin to have those conversations in our reviews and in our trend meetings and those discussions. And, and that's happening in this company. So I'm very delighted to see that, I'll call it evolution, happen within our company. The other area that I'm very proud of is the work that's going on in this city. Um, I have just the privilege of, of working in our headquartered city, and we have a real gem, a real asset here in the Louisville Health Advisory Board that I co-chair with Dr. Sarah Moyer, and she is the she is the director of the 
Department of Public Health and Well-Being. And we have a, a, a great track record with a lot of help from the Bold Goal team that have brought community leaders and kept them together. And we have collective impact work and deliverables to show for it. We have a United Community Initiative, which will allow a social platform to help folks through any open door access community-based services in ways that they've never been able to get to before, and we can track that now. And Humana is connected to that. So that, to me, is groundbreaking, and that, to me, is evidence of collective impact. This is not about Humana going out and imposing on a community. This is about Humana going out and convening community leaders to be able to accelerate and lift up priorities that the community generated, and they did, and that we could then become a participant and a stakeholder rather than us trying to go out and impose something on the community. So that's thrilling for me. I'm, I'm not trained to do that. That was work that mm-hmm. I got to learn as a, a, a non-population mm-hmm. health expert and got to learn along the way and participate in and watch that come to fruition. So the other thing that I'm very proud of is that this group in the Louisville Health Advisory Board, one of the committees, uh, created a suicide prevention initiative. Mm -hmm. So we have the unfortunate statistic of having a high suicide rate per capita in this community. And this team took it upon itself to say, we can't live with that anymore. So they set record-breaking education that created a ripple effect to some of the other cities in the Midwest where they, too, are creating some initiatives, education initiatives for lay people. It's question, persuade, and refer. So something that simple to be able to initiate a dialogue, demystify it, if you will, be able to persuade folks to take some action and walk alongside them to refer them to prevent suicide. So we're very excited to see if that helps us move the needle. And all of that really excites me because I've been part of it with the Louisville Associates uh, Connection Council and just are involved in it. I know Brittany's involved in it. I'm sure, Tara, in in your community as well, you've jumped into it also. So, And you do have the health advisory boards, and you have the Associates Connections Council in the different cities that Humana supports that are the boots on the ground that are out there in the community trying to create these efforts to make a difference, even if it's for one person, taking the suicide prevention uh, classes, the QPR, um, and all, and there's various ones, right, um, to the Humana Associates as well. And we learn with that. So uh, the Associates Connection Councils work hard mm-hmm. in our in each community to, to take your effort, Dr. Loy, uh, and bring it to fruition. You know what, I, I love you, you're bringing in the Associates because it, there's, there's always been this I'll call it vision, dream of mine, that if we were somehow to take all of the compassion that I see in Humana Associates and somehow concentrate that, I I just marvel. I don't know how how people have time in their days, but I marvel at what I hear in terms of not just going out and volunteering, but actually setting up initiatives in their community and spearheading things for 10, 15, and 20 years. And I think if there was some way for us to bottle all that up and concentrate all of that Humana associate volunteerism and focus it on a few topics. And I don't care what the topic is. If it was suicide, if it was cancer screening, if it was isolationism, if it was some social mm-hmm. determinant of health, yes. if we could concentrate you know, 40,000 plus associates around a particular initiative, just think of what we can generate in <laughs> all of our communities. It would be very powerful. And the other beauty of all this is if we set the example in our communities, 
I'll tell you here locally, it's it, it's easy for other uh, enterprises, other foundations mm-hmm. and other volunteer organizations within the large corporations here to follow in line with us, to follow suit. We, right. we can and we are example setters. Mm-hmm. I think we should take advantage of that. And we should. And, 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 and we try really hard. Of course, it's kind of sometimes what we do on the side of our it is. daytime role. And that does make it difficult. But we're all so passionate about it that we do want to go out there in the community and make a difference and you're right by doing so people start to hear in the community and then all of a sudden it's a domino effect so thank you for your work with the bold goal well thank you for asking Mm -hmm. so you're you're a very very busy guy um you know how do you manage a work-life balance or do you have any effective daily habits that you want to share what is work-life balance (laughs) (laughs) right right (laughs) no no, i have the luxury work-life balance for me uh i i family is very important to me um and while I was raising my kids, uh, I think our my wife and I had a very informal contract. It was um, uh, be at work when you're at work, and when you're at home, be at home. And she allowed me to be a dad to my my kids. Uh, and I will tell you, I even if I had quality time, I certainly did not spend enough time uh, just managing the balances of travel at that time, et cetera. And if I were to look back on my life, I would say, you know, there's I could have done a better job in in some aspects, but I would say, you know, my my best balance was to figure out you know what what is it that I should be doing and be there and when I'm not there what is it that I should be doing and be there rather than trying to be everything to everyone and trying to multitask and try to do you know a thousand things and most of them ineffectively so it was focus and concentration that have helped me the most I, I would definitely say from being on calls with you and whatnot I you know, I know you go from meeting to meeting but I've I've shared with um, my co-hosts that whatever you're doing you're focusing and giving that attention mm-hmm. to to what's at hand and that's something that i i appreciate and i'm sure others do too well, yeah. thank you for saying that did you do the the culture training the culture evolution training the the mood elevator Sendalini. oh yes yeah. yes the be here now that be here now yeah. yes that resonated with me and i thought you know I, i've just never heard it articulated that way mm-hmm. and it stuck with me where i said you know that that's a good way to think and put into words so sort of remind me of when you were talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, what should we have asked you that we didn't ask? Or is there anything else that you want to share? You know, um, the, the one thing that I'd say probably emanated from this just this conversation was is to just carefully consider your assets and the stewardship that we've been granted. You know, if you have a position, I think um, the one thing that I would say is that, you know, each of us has a dream inside of us and there's a vision to be had. And I would say just develop that vision from where you are and and mull it over and create the clarity and communicate that vision. Put it out for test driving and let folks take shots at it and continue to refine it and and manage to it. And if you don't get your opportunity to be able to implement your vision necessarily, uh, I would just encourage you to say that uh, your day will come. There are many things that, you know, we've thought about and um, over, you know, a a career, it, it feels like that some things come and go and we're revisiting things but when the timing's right and the resources are aligned etc having all that preparation in place you'll find that opportunity to be able to take your passion and your vision and and to be able to let it take root and water it grow it nurture it so what's a story you don't get to tell often enough yeah i would just say if there's a story that 
that I would that I don't get to tell often it is that it would probably have related back to the cancer experience and just don't discount the need to be there be in someone's presence and to walk alongside them and to thoughtfully listen rather than trying to come up with solutions and the cures and all of the potential um, just just don't discount your role as being a friend and family member and a support and just being there to walk alongside someone whose world just got rocked. Uh, I think folks tend to shy away from those engagements because they don't quite know what to do, but being there and being a listening ear has a very powerful effect on the experience of someone. Um, remember that someone who is fighting cancer isn't a cancer patient. It's a real person who has a real life, who's hell still has their hopes and dreams and and they're they're dealing with one aspect of their life and mm-hmm. they need they need that normalcy. They they need to be able to to be themselves and not be defined as though they're a disease. That would be my one encouragement. That's not really a story, but that's one thing that I see. The takeaway, definitely. Well, you've been listening to This Humana Life. We will catch you next time. And thank you so much, Dr. Lori, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode. You can share with us on buzz at go forward slash THL. And don't forget to subscribe by texting THL to 239-355. We want to thank you for spending time with us this week. We can use our guiding behaviors and speak up with candor to share our Humana stories through this podcast. Let's keep the conversation going together about this Humana life. Until next time, be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others.